This is the First and Big Ten Podcast with CNHI sports writers Kevin Brockway and Elton Hayes. It's time to talk college football. Welcome to the First and Big Ten Podcast. Kevin Brockway from CNHI Sports Indiana with Elton Hayes from CNHI Sports Pennsylvania. And Elton, it's obviously was... Uh, Penn State, uh, you were at the game with Penn State and Michigan State, and, and Penn State really keeps rolling along. Uh, how, how are things uh, in East Lansing, and uh, well, what were some of the keys to the win in your mind? Well, look, what impressed me the most was uh, this was a game, uh, historically, <clears throat> Penn State hadn't won in East Lansing since 2009, and more recently, you know, Michigan State and this is, um, was has gone 2-0 and against Penn State, so... Uh, you know, going into that game with just with you know those factors working against Penn State, uh, the fact that Michigan State was coming off of a bye week, and you throw in a torrential downpour for most of the game, uh, you know, it was, on paper we looked like a, a tough net for Penn State, but you know, hey, Penn State went in there and uh, you know did what they do, uh, built an early lead, kind of maintained it. Uh, Pat Pryor moves the uh, Penn State sophomore tight end. Had an excellent game, three touchdown catches. It a lot. Um, yeah, it was cool coming up for my birthday and, and finally being on this trip for my birthday, and it was an awesome experience. Um, kind of spent it with my brothers and my team. Um, like I said earlier, this is the closest team we've ever been. Um, and it was awesome. Um, and John Clifford was his once again efficient, four touchdown passes. And, uh, you know, Penn State went into Spartan Stadium and uh, got the win. Emerged from that October gauntlet. 3-0. and So, um, you know, things are working well for Penn State right now. They'll have a bye week this week to kind of, uh, you know, rest up, you know, uh, heal their wounds and uh, get prepared for that trip to uh, number 13 Minnesota here in a couple weeks. You know, Ellen, you brought up the rain, and I, I think that's important, you know, for a team like Penn State that's, you know, obviously built around speed and, and you know, Sean Clifford's ability to throw the football, that they can show that they can win those kind of games, particularly, you know, as, as we get into November and December and the weather's only going to turn and get worse in Big Ten country. Yeah, no, definitely. And, uh, you know, another factor working against Penn State early was the fact that Noah Kane, the uh, freshman running back who got his first start out there in East Lansing, uh, left the game in the second quarter uh, with an undisclosed injury, and they were still able to um, – you know, just kind of, you know, maintain that offensive surge and not have any drop-offs. So very impressed. Uh, you know, Sean Clifford and Pat Pryor both credited offensive coordinator Ricky Ronnie for drawing up a good game plan and scheming for that the, the elements. And, uh, you know, they did what they had to do. You, you would have told me that, uh, you know, four passing touchdowns in the rain in a uh, torrential downpour would be the uh, key to victory. Uh, I, I don't know if I would have believed it just because, you know, throwing the football and, you know, the rain really just does, you know, affect your game plan and kind of cuts down a lot of your passing plays. But Penn State and Cliff were able to do it, and I was very impressed. Yeah, and, you know, Casey Hamler, another touchdown catch. I mean, he's a guy it, – it's amazing how many good wide receivers there are in this league. Uh, yes. But he's a guy that's really uh, starting to step up and, and become, a, a you know, really one of the more productive guys in this conference. Uh, just how has he continued to develop, and, and how important is he going to be going forward? You know, KJ Hamler's, he's, they call him the human joystick for a reason. Um, you know, that touchdown he caught on Saturday, uh, I think they gave him a total of six on the year. Um, he's got well over uh, 500 receiving yards. 
Uh, he's also effective in the return game. You know, for the past two weeks, he had a kickoff return for a touchdown and a punt return for a touchdown, called back for penalties. But, you know, Ham, Ham was just the guy that, you know, the offense in, starts and ends with him. Uh, you know, he's he was a former Michigan State verbal commit, which is uh, really interesting. So for, to see him uh, go back there to the school that he once verbally committed to and uh, put on such a great performance was pretty awesome. You know, he's from nearby Pontiac, Michigan. But, uh, you know, he led, he led this team in receiving and receiving yards um, in receiving touchdowns and receiving yards last year as a uh, redshirt freshman. So to kind of see him you know, take his game a, a bit further, a step further, and um, you know continue to uh, add that production this year, that has definitely been a bright spot for that offense. Yeah, meanwhile, the game that I was at in West Lafayette, a sloppy, rainy day at Illinois, uh, beats Purdue 24-6, the Illini, um, you know, play, playing a little better under Levy Smith, no doubt. And, uh, you know, they got that early defensive touchdown, uh, which uh, which was which was big, uh, you know, the uh, interception return for a touchdown uh, by uh, Tony Adams, uh, you know, and, and that really kind of set the tone. It's ten nothing, you know. Purdue could do nothing offensively in the in in the rain. You know, a team that throws the football. Um, you know, Jack Plummer was benched. They went to the Aiden O'Connell, the backup. Uh, he threw a touchdown pass late in that game. At first, uh, Jeff Brown said he was going to open up the quarterback competition after Saturday's game, and now he's decided to stick with Plummer. Yeah. Well, you know, this was expected. Um, you know, Penn State, I mean, not Penn State, I'm sorry, Purdue beat a Maryland team, uh, was it two weeks ago? But uh, this is a, a Purdue team that's really got some, a lot of injuries right now. It's still a very young team. And, um, you know, I'm not going to say that I'm surprised at this outcome. Uh, you know, I, I, I think that um, when you base an offense on the amount of, you know, blue chip, just, you know, talent guys that, that you know, Braun has brought in there, and you lose those guys, this is to be expected. But, uh was a little, little surprised to see Purdue manage only six points at home against, you know, an Illinois team that's good, but uh, they would think they'd be a bit more formidable again. But, uh, you know, injuries will do that to your roster, and here we are. Yeah, and, you know, David Bell, only five catches for 19 yards. They did not get him involved enough, in my opinion, and that really, uh, you know, hurt the Boilermakers in that game. And meanwhile, Indiana, clinching a bowl bid with a big 38-31 win at Nebraska. Um, you know, they were down 14-3 early in the game. They didn't hold. They had the backup quarterback, Peyton Ramsey. All he does is throw for 351 yards, a career high, two touchdowns. And um, really, you know, I, I wrote about this in my Big Ten notebook. Really a guy who um, I think should be a serious contender uh, for the Boyles Award is offensive coordinator, Kalen DeBoer. I mean, you look at, you know, Indiana's offense, first in the Big Ten and passing offense, second in total offense. Um, he has really done a phenomenal job, and he's had to do it juggling two quarterbacks. Yeah, no, no. They, they, Indiana, you know, for all the talk of Minnesota being the uh, surprise of the uh, the conference, I think you've got to mention Indiana here in that conversation. At six and two, three and two in Big Ten play, and hey, you know, they just won their third straight conference game, you know, the same season for the first time since 1993. And to do that in Lincoln, Nebraska, is no. Um, you know, nothing to a scoff at. I, I'm very impressed. You know, Tom Allen is a defensive guy. I think we've talked about this, uh, at, you know, starting at Big Ten Media Days. And for him to finally get an offense to complement that defensive unit, you know, you just see what, what it's really done. So uh, congrats to Indiana on making their uh, – becoming bowl eligible for the first time since 2016. Yeah, Wap uh, you know, 14 catches, 178 yards. He talked about bringing the Chucky doll uh, on the uh, on the trip. <laughs> 
uh, you know, before the game. Uh, this is kind of a, a loose, confident team. They're just they're having a lot of fun. Um, you know, and they come home and they face Northwestern. They're going to be heavily favored in that game. It's going to be a night game in Memorial mm-hmm. Stadium, the first night game ever in November there. Um, it's also going to be about 30 degrees, so um, <laughs> it'll, be a, it'll be a chilly night there. We'll be uh, lucky to be in the press box, but uh, they're trying to get a sellout. They want to, you know, what, what Fillier basically said on Monday, hey, look, you know, I think we've done everything we've done, you know, fill up the stadium. So it'll be, uh, sure. it'll be interesting to see. It certainly sounds like they're deserving. They they are. You put out a winning product. You know, um, you know people are excited. You know, Indiana is a, a passionate Bloomington, Indiana is a passionate sports town. Uh, they've actually they've got a, a good football team now. Uh, that'll put people in the seat. No question. So um, yeah, let's uh, let's look around to a couple of other games in the Big Ten of note. Um, we thought this was going to be an epic matchup a few weeks ago, and it didn't really turn out that way. Ohio State keeps rolling along with a thirty-eight to seven win over Wisconsin. Uh, Chase Young, four sacks. Chris Olave, two touchdown passes. Um, Ohio State just keeps rolling along. They're, uh, they're obviously the class of lead. Yeah, what was really surprising is I, I um, you know, this game was on, they had this on the press box at Spartan Stadium. I think the score was uh, zero to zero there in the second quarter. I was like, oh, okay, this might be a game. But, uh, you know, did a couple of things, looked backed up, and uh, Ohio State was up 38 to seven in the fourth. So, uh, you know, this, this Ohio State team is on a mission. Uh, we, when we spoke with our guests last week, we talked about the keys to Jonathan Taylor, who was constant running back, being effective against this Ohio State defense. And, uh, you know, the Ohio State defense had different plans in mind. Uh, Taylor limited to a season low 52 yards and 20 carries, was only averaging 2.6 yards per carry. Uh, Jack Cohn did not have a great day passing the ball, was 10 of 17 for 108 yards and one touchdown. And, um, you know, Ohio State has shown itself, like I said, not to just be the uh, most complete team in the Big Ten, but I believe in the country. Yeah, and, you know, Wisconsin, uh, I had been singing the praises of uh, Tim Leonard, the defensive coordinator. Um, Wisconsin's allowed an average of 30.5 points uh, over its last uh, two games. So I-, I think some teams are starting to figure some things out with Wisconsin's defense, and I'm sure they'll, they'll regroup a little bit. Uh, and another, you know, big game in the league, Michigan trouncing Notre Dame 45-14, to 21 points in the fourth quarter to pull away. Uh, the offense uh, finally looked like it was clicking under Josh Gaddis, and we both thought that Michigan at home, uh, you know, had a chance to win, but, uh, you know, had a good chance to win. We both predicted that, Elton, but I don't think that we thought it was going to be this convincing. No, if you someone have told me forty five to fourteen, I wanted to have believed him. But hey, you know, this is a much needed win by Jim Harbaugh. Kind of, you know, silences the detractors for a little bit to get a win against a top ten opponent. Um, you know, this kind of begs the question for Brian Kelly now. You know, he's been there for a while. Uh, you know, yeah, they played in that championship game in two thousand twelve. They were trounced by Alabama, but uh is has Brian Kelly really living up to expectations, you know, to really get this team over the hump. But, you know, Michigan was uh was very dominant. You know, the, Shea Patterson didn't have his best game. I'm not going to really blame him because the conditions was, a, like I said, it was a torrential downpour. I think that we covered the entire state of Michigan. But uh, you know, big win for the uh, Wolverines, and hey, they could still they could end their season at nine and three right now. I know they've got that game at uh, Ohio State looming on the calendar, but uh, nine and three would be a good year for them. Also, have that game in Indiana too, which will be interesting, and they've got Michigan State, so. Uh, they have a, a little bit of a tough road to finish up, but, you know, they, they got the running game going. Hassan Haskins, uh, 149 yards on 20 carries. Uh, Zach uh, Charbonnet, 
with two touchdown runs. He had 74 yards rushing. So it really was, um, you know, uh, with the rain, they really did control the game on the ground, and that was really one of the keys to the game. They did. They did. And uh, it showed, you know, Michigan Michigan is a good team. For all of the um, consternation that, that Harbaugh receives, you know, the, the roster is still loaded with talent. You know, Harbaugh is still a good coach. And uh, I think he kind of showed people, you know, what he's capable of again, kind of reminding them who he is with this big-time win. Yeah, and I think it certainly helps the conference, too, because, you know, lest we forget that Georgia was kind of life and death against Notre Dame at home, and, you know, Michigan yep. bounces them by 31, and, you know, uh, I, I know people say, oh, different nights, you know, different time of the season, you know, you got to factor that in, but it is a comparison, and it's a comparison that uh, I think the folks, uh, you know, in the CFP should look at. No, I think that's a great point you bring up there, Kevin. You know, uh, this, you know, Georgia Notre Dame wasn't decided until that fourth quarter, and it was a back and forth, very competitive game. You know, you look at and you know, you saw with people the way that some people kind of spun that that narrative after the game. You know, but you look at you know what Michigan was able to do, just completely outstand and just completely trounce uh, Notre Dame. And we'll, you know, we'll see where the uh, perception and, and where the uh, narrative is after this one. But I, I think it's only fair to, to say that uh, you know this is the same team that Georgia, you know, barely really hung on to beat, and, uh, you know, Michigan came out here and, and, you know, put a 45 on them and held them to only two touchdowns. I think there's something to be said for that, and there's something to be said, you know, for the Big Ten producing a team that was able to uh, keep Notre Dame, which is a top-ten opponent, in check like that. Yeah, well, maybe the Big Ten can hire us as advocates, right? (laughs) That would be something. I'm open to it. No question. So, uh, okay, so when we come back, our thumbs up, thumbs down segment. This is Kevin Brockway from CNHI Sports Indiana with Elton Hayes from CNHI Sports Pennsylvania on the First and Big Ten podcast. Get the latest Big Ten, IU, Purdue, and Penn State football news by following the guys on Twitter. Kevin is at Kevin Brockway G1, and Elton is at EHDC12. Welcome back to the First and Big Ten Podcast. Kevin Brockway from CNHI Sports Indiana with Elton Hayes from CNHI Sports Pennsylvania. Our thumbs up, thumbs down segment, Elton, and there were a lot of great performances around the league. I'm going to start with my first thumbs up with Indiana quarterback Peyton Ramsey. 351 yards, two touchdowns, and Indiana pulling off that uh, mild upset, shall we say, at Nebraska to get them bowl eligible. And, you know, Peyton Ramsey is a guy that's – you know, he's had to, you know, he started the year as a backup. He's kind of had to, you know, juggle and be prepared as Michael Penix has been going through his injury issues all season. But every time his number has been called, he stepped up and answered the bell. No, he um, it was great to see, a, you know, a guy of his, um, his experience who was supplanted this year as the starter, who was able to uh, kind of come in there and, and get his redemption in the way that he did was awesome. And, and you know, the fact that it made um, Indiana Bowl eligible was only that much sweeter. So I'm, I'm going to uh, co-sign that thumbs up. My first thumbs up is going to go to Ohio State running back J.K. Dobbins. Uh, you know, this was supposed to be the battle of the running backs with Dobbins and uh, Wisconsin's Jonathan Taylor. Dobbins rushed 20 times for 163 yards with two touchdowns, averaged 8.2 yards per carry, and uh, really played a big role in that big win for Ohio State. Yeah, no question. And, you know, he is a guy that, uh, you know, is, is a, a very, very talented guy who's been doing it really all season long. 
Um, a little disappointing for Jonathan Taylor, but I'm sure he'll bounce back. Uh, you know, only 20 carries and 52 yards in that game. So my second thumbs up will go to uh, another running back, Hassan Haskins from Michigan. 20 carries and 149 yards. They had to control the game on the ground uh, in the wet conditions and the rain, and Michigan was able to do that, and he was a big reason why, uh, you know, Michigan pulled off that big win over Notre Dame. Definitely. My um, second thumbs up is going to go to Rutgers, Scarlet Knight, quarterback um, Johnny Langan. Langan uh, threw for 192 yards and two touchdowns. Also was Rutgers' leading rusher with uh, 118 yards and one touchdown on 21 carries. So uh, the youngster uh, provided Rutgers with a much-needed win and a much-needed spark on offense. So uh, after Rutgers getting a lot of thumbs down from me this uh, this year in this segment. Uh, kind of good to get to see them get a uh, thumbs up. Yeah, yeah, you know, and the first win for the interim coach Nunzio at Campanelli, and uh, they scored a lot of points, and that was certainly good to see. I know my friend Cliff will probably be happy with that one. He's uh, probably uh, <laughs> celebrating. Uh, he lives in Columbus, so he hears it a lot from Buckeye fans. But uh, he'll be uh, he'll be happy that he'll have at least a week to a uh, week to smile. My third thumbs up, sticking in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, defensive end Chase Young, four sacks in the game against Wisconsin. He's got 13 and a half sacks on the season, Alan, and he's starting to generate some Heisman discussion. You know, a defensive player hasn't won the Heisman since 1997, and uh, that was Charles Woodson, as we all know, another Big Ten guy from Michigan. Um, and, and really Woodson was a guy who, who played a little bit of both ways that season. He played a little bit of receiver that season. He returned kicks, mm-hmm. obviously, and made big plays that way. But you know, for a pure defensive guy to be in the Heisman conversation at this point in the season just tells you how good Chase Young is. He, he's, a, he's a monster. Uh, you know, he's a domestic Catholic guy down there um, in the DMV area. I'm sure Maryland's pretty upset that he uh, – he got away, but uh, his numbers this year are staggering. 13 and a half sacks, 15 and a half passes for loss, and 29 total tackles. Uh, his name has to be mentioned in the in the uh, in you know the Heisman voting categories right now. He's playing at a high level. Okay, Alan, your final thumbs up. My, oh, my final thumbs up is going to go to Penn State tight end Pat Fryermuth, uh, the sophomore. At uh, five catches for 60 yards, three of them being touchdowns. Uh, Sean Clifford targeted him five times. He caught all five of those catches. He also celebrated his 21st birthday on Friday. So uh, what a way to ring in uh, year 21 with having such a big day, um, you know, and Penn State's win over uh, Michigan State. So Pratt Farmuth, Penn State's tight end, is going to get my third thumbs up. Yeah, I'm sure he had a chance to uh, celebrate when he got back to uh... – you know, happy Valley there. Uh, you know, happy 21st <laughs> birthday to Pat, and I'm sure he enjoyed maybe an adult beverage or two. Who knows? So, um, okay, moving on to our thumbs down segment. Uh, let's start with Purdue. Um, it was a mess there in the rain in West Lafayette. I was there. Um, let's face it, it was about three and a half hours of my life that I won't get back. Uh, just uh, some really, uh, really poor football all along. And, you know, they, they were they were in danger, really, of being shut out for the first time since 2013. Uh, Purdue was in the lowest points produced in the Jeff Brown era in three years. Only six points, and they needed the backup quarterback to do that, essentially at the end of the game with them trailing 24 nothing. Yeah, I know Illinois' defense is playing a little better under Levy Smith, but Purdue, you've got to do uh, better than that. Um, they finally got the ground game a little bit going with Xander Horvath, but that was a game where they needed to – run the football, and they weren't able to do that early on in the game. 
And, uh, you know, not getting David Bell involved either, uh, only five catches for 19 yards after he had back-to-back 100-yard receiving games was really, uh, uh, you know, perplexing to me. Yeah, no, definitely. My um, first thumbs down is going to go to Maryland quarterback Tyler DeSue. Four completions for 12, um, on 12 attempts for 88 yards and one touchdown. I believe he's the third Maryland quarterback to uh, have played this year. Uh, you know, they played Josh Jackson. They played um, Tyrone Pegram and now Tyler DeSue. And, uh, you know, he did not have a good game. Uh, one of his um, interceptions was returned for a uh, Minnesota touchdown. And that offense is just really anemic right now. So Tyler, Maryland quarterback Tyler DeSue is going to get my first thumbs down of the segment. Yeah, you know, the Terps, uh, you know, they started the season with such promise and it's really unraveling quickly under Mike Loxley, but it is his first year and, you know, you've, you've got to, uh, give him a little bit of time to get things turned around. Uh, my second uh, thumbs down is going to be something a little unique, a little different. I'm going to go with the Nebraska fans. Yeah, you know, I know they're great fans. I know they sell out. They've got, uh, you know, this crazy sellout streak that they have. But, um, you know, during that game, it, you know, Nebraska was playing a little up tempo. Um, Thomas Allen uh, was dealing with a shoulder issue. He already separated his shoulder once. It popped out again, um, and he walked up the field. Nebraska fans were booing, and they were kind of thinking that Allen was, you know, faking this injury or doing it on purpose to slow down Nebraska. Well, it turns out that Allen has a separated shoulder. He's done for the year. Tom Allen revealed that. That's Thomas Allen, by the way, is the coach Tom Allen's son. Um, so for Nebraska fans to do that, you know, come on, you know, really, you know, a little perspective here. The kid was really hurt. He wasn't faking it. You know, you're not amateur detectives there, 90,000 people in the stands. That gets one of my thumbs down. Yeah, no, I would agree that fans booing players, especially injured players, is never a good look in it. It's kind of reflects poorly on the university and the the, uh, fan base. So I've got no problem with you uh, assigning them your uh, thumbs down. My um, second thumbs down is going to go to Michigan State. Michigan State's offense. Uh, you know, this is a unit that has really just kind of, it's, you know, looked been lackluster all year. And I was able to see it in person on uh, Saturday. 265 yards of offense. Um, quarterback Brian Lewerke, who's a you know a senior with a lot of experience, was only 16 of 34. 165 yards with an interception. Uh, D'Antonio played three quarterbacks. Uh, Theo Day and Rocky Lombardi also received playing time. But uh, that offense, which is really ineffective, it was very um, just it was stuck in the mud. This, I guess, is a good way to put it. And, uh, you know, I, I see why it's received a lot of criticism this year, and um, that's why it also gets my uh, second thumbs down of the segment. Yeah, my uh, third thumbs down is going to go to Wisconsin's offense. Uh, obviously, uh, early on, the defense played well uh, in that game, you know, in the first quarter, and it was only a 10 nothing game at halftime. But Wisconsin could get nothing going. You know, Jonathan Taylor, 52 yards on 20 carries. Uh, you know, Cone, 108 yards passing, just the one touchdown. But they really couldn't protect them. I mean, Ohio State dominated on the line of scrimmage. We mentioned Chase, Chase Young's four sacks and, he was running for his life throughout the game. So, really, it was a total collapse offensively. You know, you can look at the inability to establish a run with one of the best running backs in the country, the inability to protect Cone. A lot of it probably falls on the offensive line, but all in all, a bad day for Wisconsin's offense. Yeah, yeah this is something that some people had brought up earlier in the season. You know, Wisconsin's defense, I said, was kind of carrying the team, um, you know, outside of Jonathan Taylor. 
no one's really consistently stepped up and uh, provided a uh, spark to that offense. And we kind of saw what happens when uh, you're able to contain Jonathan Taylor. Uh, you get seven points. So, um, you know, I have no no problem with you assigning them your third thumbs down. Okay, Ellen, and your final thumbs down. My final thumbs down is going to go to Northwestern. This is a team that just won a year ago won the uh, Big Ten West. Uh, they're a shell of their former selves. I don't know what's going on. Uh, I know Pat Fitzgerald is a good coach. So I don't know if just his roster this year is really down on talent, but uh, they have been anemic. They're still searching for their first conference win, so Northwestern gets my third thumbs down. Yeah, and then I think the main problem is a quarterback. You know, they, they put their eggs in that Hunter Johnson basket. That didn't work out. They just really right now just don't don't have a guy uh, under center that can really lead the team. Uh, you know, Aiden Smith, um, they're, they're just, uh, you know, uh, having a lot of issues there. And, yeah. uh, you know, in this league, if you don't have a quarterback, it's it's really difficult to compete. It is. And that ground game, you know, only produced, I believe, 164 yards, which is just kind of unacceptable. Uh, you know, 64 yards rushing between the Northwestern running backs, 138 yards passing. They finished with 202 yards of offense, which is not going to win you many games in the Epic game. Okay, well, that wraps up our Thumbs Up, Thumbs Down segment. Uh, coming up, we have Joey Kaufman from the Columbus Dispatch. This is Kevin Brockway from CNHI Sports Indiana with Elton Hayes from CNHI Sports Pennsylvania on the First and Big Ten podcast. Don't go anywhere because it's time for Voices of the Gridiron. Here's today's special guest. Welcome to the uh, First and Big Ten podcast. This afternoon, we have Joey Coffin with us. He's an Ohio State football beat writer for the Columbus Dispatch. Joey, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on. Well, look, uh, (laughs) you've got a lot going on this year. You've got a uh, really good football team in Ohio State that appears uh, everything's working just right for them. Just had a big win over Wisconsin. Uh, How would you evaluate things here eight weeks into the season? Well, I think they've been better – than expected. I think most people thought the defense was going to be improved coming into the season. I think a lot of people kind of knew Ryan Day was a good offensive mind, and yes, he had a new quarterback in Justin Fields, but Ryan Day had enough track record coming into the season that you thought this was a record-setting offense a year ago. They're going to be able to find a way to put up points once again. The biggest surprise is, is how balanced they've been. They don't really have a weakness, and a lot of that is owed to the defensive improvement. They were they gave up 25 points a game last year, the worst statistical season in school history. And, and this season, through through two months, they're second nationally in total defense. They're first in scoring defense. They're nationally, they're allowing just 7.9 points a game. So that's a huge improvement from where they were a year ago. You spoke about Ryan Day, um, you know. Obviously, he had three games last year in an inter- in interim capacity when Urban Meyer was uh, unavailable due to that suspension. But I, I don't think he's been uh, – the most passionate fans thought that uh, his his uh, transition would be this seamless. Uh, what do you think has kind of gone into making that transition so uh, successful with, you know, him kind of keeping Ohio State at an elite level despite the changeover in coaching staff and uh, bringing in a new first-year quarterback in Justin Fields? I think for starters, he improved his staff. They After last season, they pretty much let everybody go on the defensive side of the ball. They kept defensive line coach. Larry Johnson, but there were no holdovers. They brought in uh, new defensive co-coordinators. 
That's Jeff Halfley from the San Francisco 49ers and Greg Madison from Michigan. And they put in some new schemes on that side of the ball, which I think helped out Ryan to hit. It's kind of made him look good. They've, they've put in a defense, which is, is kind of a, more of a simplified scheme that they ran a year ago under Greg Schiano, but they're, they're playing a little faster and they're, they're taking advantage of, of their athletes in, the, in this simplified scheme. So I think that's a big reason why, why Ryan Day's look good. He's, Ryan Day's also a guy who's kind of a steady, low-key, no-drama guy. I mean, you saw last year when he led the team as the acting head coach, they were, there was a whole bunch of stuff going on when Urban Meyer was suspended. They, they fired receivers coach Zach Smith, and, and he let him out to a 3-0 start. So he's a guy who's handled this role before, and he's kind of a, a low-key guy. So I think he can kind of keep the, the ship going in the right direction. Okay. I think at this point it's kind of a foregone conclusion that Ohio State's not just the uh, most beat team in the Big Ten, but you can even make an argument for the country. Um, you know, given Penn State beats Minnesota here in two weeks, the Nittany Lions and Buckeyes will be playing for uh, what's essentially going to be the East Division title. From what you've seen out of the Nittany Lions through eight games, how would you evaluate their chances against the Buckeyes on November 23rd? They've kind of reminded me a little bit of Ohio State in this standpoint. They had a new quarterback come into the season in Sean Clifford. They lost, obviously, Trace McSorley, and I think there were a lot of people who were who weren't entirely sold on them because of of the change and obviously the most prominent position. But I think they've surpassed expectations. They're undefeated. The reason I think they'll they'll probably pose the biggest challenge to Ohio State is they're the one team in the conference that has maybe comparable talent or has recruited at a similar level at Ohio State. If you look at the 247 sports talent composite ratings, I mean, they have a fair number of blue chippers on their roster. They have they have four or five stars and 46 uh, four stars. They got 50 blue chippers, which Ohio State has 66, the most in the Big Ten, but at least Penn State has comparable athletes. The thing with Ohio State is every team they play in the Big Ten, they have more talent. And they've also been well coached this year, so it's really hard for anybody to mount an upset bid or seriously challenge them. Penn State at least has that going for them, where they, they're going to be able to match up at some of the skill position and and really maybe give Ohio State a run for their money. The problem will be James Franklin hasn't won a ton of these big games outside Happy Valley, but at least the matchup for Penn State is is more favorable. Okay, Joey. Hey, Kevin Brockway from CNHI Sports uh, Indiana. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here. It's very rare when you have a uh, team that has three Heisman candidates on the roster and Chase Young, Justin Fields, and J.K. Dobbins. Who would get your vote of the three and why? I would probably vote Chase Young because I think he affects so much of what they can do defensively. For one, if you talk about most outstanding and you, and you watch them play every week, the guy I think who just kind of pops the most is, is Chase Young. If you just kind of look at it as a purely most outstanding player. If you want to look at it from a most valuable player award, you could certainly look at the quarterback because without Justin Fields, there would be a, a steep drop-off to their number two quarterback. But let's kind of keep it confined to the most outstanding. I think you would give it to Chase Young. And, and he's also a huge part of, of their defensive success. They, they're able to, to get – to pressure quarterbacks incredibly quickly. They almost get to the quarterbacks in, in two seconds. One of the things that Jeff Halfley, their, their co-defensive coordinator, brought up about a week or two ago is that when you have somebody like Chase Young on your, your team, he gets to the quarterback so quickly that other teams really have to, to cut off their, the routes they run. You might be preparing to face a team during the week, and they'll, they'll show all these routes on film where this looks like a a good route, but it's going to take some time to develop. When you have Chase Young, teams 
can't run that stuff. They can't run longer, deeper developing routes downfield. So Chase Young's a guy who can cut off half your playbook. He's just such a disruptive presence play in and play out that he would he would get my vote as the most outstanding guy. But as I kind of mentioned, if you wanted to look at it from the most valuable player standpoint, I think that would be Fields. You know, this team is so loaded, and I discussed those three names, and a guy that kind of skates by quietly but has been – you know, mighty productive with two touchdown catches uh, last week is Chris Olave. Uh, just how has he kind of developed as a receiver and a sophomore, and how integral has he been to Ohio State's offensive success? He seems to probably, of all the receivers, have a good connection with Justin Fields. One of the things that's that's different about Justin Fields as a passer than Dwayne Haskins was is, is Fields will try and buy time in the pocket. So he'll drop back, and if a play's not there, he'll, he might roll out of the pocket and kind of buy time with his his legs and he's still scrambling, still looking downfield. Olave does a good job of staying with Fields. So if Fields is going to roll out to his right, Olave will kind of drag across the fields and try and get open for Fields. Or if he or if Fields rolls to his right and, and Olave's already on that side, he might kind of keep rolling further deep downfield. So I think that's why anytime you have a new quarterback, there's going to be some stylistic changes. And, and Olave is kind of a speedy guy. And is able to able to really adapt to fields. Plus, he's a sophomore; he has a year of experience under his belt, so he's kind of been able to further acclimate. And that's Joey Kaufman, beat writer for the Columbus Dispatch. Hey, Joey, thanks again for uh, joining us. Um, what is the way that people can um, you know follow you and read your stuff? Probably the easiest way is is on Twitter. That's where I tweet and tweet a lot of our stories out. It's uh, my handle is Joey J O E Y R Kaufman, and if you want to go straight to the source, you can visit BuckeyeExtra.com. There's only one E in there. All right. Well, look, Ed. I'll see you in a couple weeks when Penn State travels to uh, Columbus. Thanks again for uh, for joining us. Thank you for having us. Want to see more from Kevin and Elton? Subscribe to a CNHI newspaper near you. Welcome back to the First and Fifth Friends Podcast. Kevin Brockway from CNHI Sports Indiana with Elton Hayes from CNHI Sports Pennsylvania. It's prediction time, Elton. And, yeah. Uh, it's a, kind of yeah, light this week. I know. A very light schedule. Only four games, so we'll be able to get through this fairly quickly. Um, first up, we have Michigan at Maryland, number 14 Michigan. Wolverines coming off that uh, big win against Notre Dame to get their season back on track and We've discussed Maryland's uh, struggles early in the podcast. Michigan, an 18.5-point favorite, and uh, I don't see any way that uh, Michigan stumbles here. I think they win fairly easily. Yeah, it's Maryland's homecoming, but I still don't think that's going to be enough to generate enough uh, enough energy in uh, Maryland Stadium. I think Michigan rolls to a yeah, big victory and covers. Nebraska at Purdue. Um, Nebraska is a uh, two-point uh, favorite in West Lafayette. Uh, the Boilers, uh, as we've discussed, really struggling at 2-6 and six and, uh, you know, 1-4 and four in the league. They've been really beset by injuries all season long. Um, and uh, Jack Plummer is going to stay at quarterback for the Boilermakers. Um, no exact word on uh, Rodney Moore's status or some rumblings that he might be able to come back this week, but uh, they'll know more by the end of the week. And you know, Nebraska still has uncertainty at their quarterback position with Adrian Martinez uh, being out, whether he's going to come back. I still think despite all those factors uh, and despite it being a road game, despite Nebraska's disappointing home loss against Indiana, uh, I think Nebraska's the better team and they're going to pull this one out. 
Yeah, Nebraska definitely needs a win right now. They're on a two-game conference slide. Uh, Scott Frost, you know, I'm not saying that people are questioning his coaching bona fides right now, but, uh, you know, you get some people who are questioning the way things are going at 4-4 four and four right now and on the two-game conference losing streak. But, uh, you know, Purdue is a team in turmoil, and I think Nebraska pounces on that, uh, on, on that opportunity and picks up a win. Yeah, Nebraska, I think, has some secondary issues that they have to fix. They just give up too many easy uh, plays uh, passing the football. And, and, you know, if it's a nice day, you know, maybe Purdue can exploit that a little bit because they do have the passing game. If the weather is good, um, we'll we'll see. But I I still think Nebraska is going to pull this one out. Rutgers against Illinois, Uh, two teams coming off wins. How often can you say that, right? Um, (laughs) It's – you know, the game is in Champaign. Illinois obviously playing with a lot more confidence, uh, you know, with the back-to-back wins, the upset of Wisconsin. Yep. And then, uh, you know, you go into Purdue and you handle business. You show you can win on the road in kind of a sloppy game. You get a defensive touchdown. Uh, they're playing a lot better defense under Levy Smith of late. Um, mm-hmm. So I think uh, Illinois pulls this one out. I do, too. You know, Illinois is playing for bowl eligibility right now. A win on Saturday would get, put them one win away from becoming bowl eligible. Uh, which that team really needs and would be great for Lovey Smith. Uh, I, Rutgers, you know, win last week aside is uh, still, I believe, the uh, weakest team in the conference, and Illinois will uh, exploit that for victory. And the final game, under the lights at Memorial Stadium, Indiana hosting Northwestern. The Hoosiers, the pressure's off. They're already bowl eligible um, at 6-2. and two. They've won three in a row. They're one of the hottest teams in the Big Ten. And here's what Indiana linebacker Micah McFadden has to say about the team's approach heading into November. Yeah, well, I think, you know, too often we see that, you know, last year maybe we wouldn't finish these close games as much, and, and now we've kind of started to pick it up. We've got three in a row here, three big Big Ten wins, and two that were really close, and we finished them out at the end. And, uh, you know, it's just exciting to see that we're kind of getting the hang of it, and we're starting to put everything together and finish games on the road. And, you know, it's, it's really encouraging for us, and, uh, you know, we just got to do it throughout these next couple of weeks. All right. Well, Indiana certainly is a team that uh, is uh, playing, uh, you know, uh, free and easy right now. Uh, they're getting production from no matter what quarterback they put in there, whether it's Peyton Ramsey or Michael Penix. It's going to be another game-time decision between the two. Um, Northwestern, as we've discussed, has struggled this year. They're 1-6. and six. Uh, They have problems at the quarterback position. They do have a dangerous defense. And uh, I think provided Indiana doesn't turn the ball over, they're going to win this game going away. They're in a 12-and-a-half-point favorite. Look, Indiana's hot right now. You know, as you mentioned, this is the uh, first November uh, Saturday night game under the lights. Uh, you know, big opportunity. They just became bowl eligible. You know, they're, they're, they're playing for more, right? And they're playing for more than just that right now. You know, they could realistically be 7-2 and two in the first week of November, which would be huge for that program. Um I, I think Indiana carries that momentum from their uh, three-game win streak into this game, and you know, can Northwestern yet another Big Ten loss? All right, so that wraps it up. Elton, a lot of uh, you know bye weeks this week, Elton, and a lot of teams will get to rest up, and then uh, you know, obviously some big showdowns the following week, uh, including yeah. the game that you'll be at, which is Penn State and Minnesota. Yeah, which was announced yesterday at 11 a.m. local kickoff. So we'll be uh, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed at TFC uh, Stadium on uh, November 9th. But, uh, you know, hey, the fact that uh, Minnesota right now is 8-0, Penn State is 8-0, you know, this, is, this game has uh, big implications conference-wise. 
Yeah, you know, and uh, if you are in Minneapolis, I was there for the final four last April, I would definitely recommend getting a Juicy Lucy. Uh, it's, uh, you know, a once-in-a-lifetime experience, and uh, you'll really enjoy it. I appreciate that recommendation. I'll make note of it. <laughs> All right, well, that wraps it up. Another edition of the first of Big Ten podcast is in the books. For Elton Hayes from CNHI Sports Pennsylvania, this is Kevin Brockway from CNHI Sports Indiana. Signing off. Thanks for listening to your number one source for college football and Big Ten news. The first and Big Ten podcast. Enjoy the games.